Welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm and trauma. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm and trauma. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Well, hey there, Shelby. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great, Jennifer. This is a wonderful, wonderful introduction here. So it's been a minute since we have done a podcast and, you know, something that we had talked about um, after our last one was doing a season review, but I had some things happen and I had to take a step back and I was actually gone for about two months and um, I've slowly returned to work. And you and I met last week to kind of get a sense of what we wanted to do. And so here we are back in the podcast hot seats. And (laughs) what we're going to do today is we're going to do just a year in review of season three, like the things we remember, the, um, the people who gave their time, the animals who gave their time. And we're just going to have a good time just kind of reviewing all the deliciousness of your and I's first season together. I think it'll be good to go back and reflect on all of the amazing people who did take time out of their very busy lives to chat with us and just highlight some of the nuggets of knowledge they were able to share with us and the audience here. I love it. And you know, I remember distinctly last year, and I think it was around, no, it was probably earlier than this time last year, when uh, you and I kind of came together and talked about like, what is the vision? What are the themes? How do we want to do this? And I have to say, we did a hell of a job. Like, we found people who were willing to be vulnerable and brave and be on video and audio. And I really enjoyed how we were looking at the effects of trauma in different systems within our community. Like, and we always were saying, you know, like this is in Owensboro, right? So this is not like in um, Detroit, Michigan or Denver, Colorado. But the themes, I think, could still be interwoven and integrated almost in any community. I think the listeners who aren't from Owensboro could have gleamed um, not only a look into our town, but also had a, could reflect on their own experiences and their own communities just to also see that while here in Western Kentucky, things may be extremely different than, let's say, the Pacific Northwest. Um, traumas look the same, not exactly the same, but look similar across the country. And um, I know we talked about access to health care, access to affordable health care. We talked about the criminal justice system. We talked about how people interact within their faith-based communities. Um, and while we were Owensboro specific 
and I learned a lot not being from Owensboro, I did take a lot back to my own hometown, and I, I hope the audience was able to pull some good information, um, useful, inspiring information um, from our last season. I think that's beautifully stated, and I agree. Um, and as you were talking, and last week after we met, I kept thinking about, like, do I have a favorite? And at first I was like, well, yeah. And I was like, but no. And I was like, but yeah. Um, and I think I finally settled on, I enjoyed each one of them in the moment because... We were in connection with other people, amazing people in our community who are doing beautiful things to help people in general with the knowledge of we are all walking around as a survivor of trauma, whether that is a single event trauma, whether that is a medical illness, mental health illness, um, social justice illness issues, systemic issues, oppression, all of it. Mm-hmm. We are all a survivor of some form of trauma. And when we begin to see that as our lens, and of course, you know, my favorite polyvagal theory and begin to understand behaviors, thoughts, actions of self and others, um, I have to say that here in our city, we have a lot to offer the community. We being not just New Beginnings, but all of the providers that we spoke with. And um, I'm very hopeful for the future of Owensboro and the Seven Counties area because I think we're at this unique opportunity to really push into the community different ways of healing the nervous system, which then can lead to healing traumas, healing physical um, health issues, um, because stress is the root of all evil. I hate stress. I am impressed at the work that is being done, and I, someone who gets very easily sucked into existential spirals, especially with the state of the world, um, you know, it's really easy to start (laughs) dissociating and doom-scrolling TikTok, and I don't know about your algorithm, but a lot of my algorithm is just... um, all of the ways in which we are oppressed and all of the ways in which um, people don't have access to basic needs um, all across the country and how we're failing a lot of people, right? At least that's, that's that's the side of TikTok that I'm on. That's the side of TikTok that I see. That's the side of TikTok that enrages me and inspires me to be an advocate And I know, like, I've picked my niche here at New Beginnings. I am an advocate against sexual violence. But, I mean, I still got my hand in everything else, just at least up here mentally. Got to take a step back every now and then. But talking to all of the wonderful people we did last season, it it inspires hope. And it helps curb that burnout of, 
oh my god the world's on fire <laughs> like ah everything is awful when you sit down and you have those moments of connection with other intelligent professionals who are working to really help heal the traumas in whatever way they can in whatever niche they chose to walk their path in i i found it all very very inspiring i'm sitting here like i just want to say ditto like <laughs> ditto because it's true um you know, I think back when we were trying to figure out who to ask to be on the podcast, and we we did, I think, the best job we could of looking at diversity, looking at um, the different isms and how to incorporate so many different people, right, into the podcast. Um, and I was so excited. I don't know if you remember this or not. But when I reached out to um, uh, Rhonda Lynn Randolph uh, via email, and I reached out to her, and when she said yes, I was like giddy like a schoolgirl who's got her trapper keeper ready for third grade with the cat on it and lunch packed and new Jordache tennis shoes. That was back in the 80s. I was so excited because... She didn't know me. She didn't know you. She didn't know us. Um, but when we gave her the, you know, basics of here's our website, here's what we do. And she said yes without hesitation. I know. I was so, so incredibly happy because uh, I was new to season three at that point, And we set off on this big adventure to network with people who had no idea who we are and they gave us a chance and the fact that reverend rondolin was like yes i will be on your podcast it's like oh my gosh this is gonna set season three up so great also i started reading her resume and her background and everything about her and i was like yes this woman is an advocate and has an amazing spirit and has done so much for the community I was, I was blown away that she was willing to take time to talk to us. What are the predominant types of traumas that you have witnessed within your faith community? Well, I can only speak from not just my church, but like the perspective of being a Black woman within the Baptist denomination in where I live. Um, and I've lived just about, you know, in the western part of Kentucky and the eastern part, meaning like the Louisville Lexington area. So it, it would be like my perspective as a black woman in the state of Kentucky. And what I find is that, um, especially with black women and boys, it's a lot of trauma when it comes to uh, the family dynamic um, with uh, the fathers not being present, which leaves a lot of our children unprotected uh, because it forces parents and mostly moms to have to make really hard decisions. And uh, oftentimes it leaves our children unprotected because you don't have that balance of that other that you can uh, lean on. And that's not to say that, you know, all black men are not there for their families. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just looking at statistical information that shows that uh, black 
families are predominantly headed by Black women and uh, trauma in regard to uh, being unprotected and the issues surrounding poverty are so prevalent within our community. And poverty comes with this whole nother dynamic, you know, and it just compounds the issue because if you go even further and you look at um, the amount of money that women make in comparison to men, and then you break that down to women of color, then more specifically black women, when it comes to amount of money that they bring, especially in a community like Onsboro, um, it's, it, it really hurts our community. Um, and the, a lot of times people don't even realize how closely connected we all are, you know. But I think uh, in regard to your question, uh, trauma uh, from the issues surrounding poverty, uh, from the issues surrounding single parents and uh, the family dynamic have is what I have encountered as being one of the greatest uh, barriers or issues that we face in regard to trauma. And then it was such a delight to meet her before we did the podcast when we did the Zoom, because we tried to do that with most everyone, just so our nervous systems could connect and get an idea of, like, who is this person asking me and what do they want to talk about, you know. Um, and I remember meeting her for the first time and she was at a conference. And I, I think one of the questions we asked her is like, do you ever find time to rest? Because she's so busy, right? She's involved in her church that she is the pastor for. She's involved in different community organizations. And um, I think what I enjoyed most about speaking with her was her grace and her assertiveness. And there's just something about her energy and her presence that is very much commanding of respect. Like that is how I um, enjoyed her conversation with us and talking about the community specifically with what she is aware and knowledge and a part of her black community being the first woman pastor for her faith, her specific faith and how she had to essentially assert herself with grace and dignity and step up and say, I'm being called to do this and I am going to listen to the word and I, I'm stepping out on faith. I think that's what, where her words was, I was stepping out on faith. What she did was an incredible feat because they fought her every step of the way and said, you, you're a woman. You can't do this. You can't do this because you're a woman. And she was like, as you said, that was her calling and she did it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I will forever be grateful for her saying yes um, to us and to our organization and being able to showcase um, just how beautiful faith can be when it comes to healing from trauma. And it's all about connection, right? Then I, I think about when uh, we asked my very dear friend, Father Mike Clark at Blessed Mother Catholic Church, to be on the podcast. And at first he was kind of like, 
what's this about and all this? And I happened to stop over it. It was my mom's church. Um, and I found him and I said, hey, let me tell you in person versus just texting and emailing. And when he immediately said that he wanted to talk about grief and the death of a spouse and the, the trauma involved with that and how one returns to church without their pew buddy where they sit, mm-hmm. that had never even crossed my mind. When you think back over the last several years and you think about what trauma is in general, what have you noticed within the Catholic faith, maybe even specifically at Blessed Mother? What are some of the traumas or a trauma that has really become quite prevalent? There are several, but one that uh, truly stands out above the rest is when someone experiences loss of a family member and most particularly when they experience the loss of a spouse Mm. for people that are grounded in their faith, the church is a locus for organizing their life. Uh, They have a rhythm of prayer at home and then they have the rhythm of coming to church with their loved one and connecting to the larger community. Mm -hmm. Often when a funeral is celebrated uh, for a person that comes to church all the time, at least weekly, some people that even come daily, after the funeral celebration and the bereavement meal where people uh, say, you know, it's terrible that this is uh, like a family reunion, but then on the other hand, it's not terrible because it's surrounding them with love and support and keeping the memory of their loved one uh, alive and present. Uh, Once that fades and the family goes home and life for everybody else goes back to normal, the very place where the person has found solace and connection with God and with the community, it's hard for them to come. And that may surprise people. But if you think about it, uh, you can open yourself to move toward that experience because if they come and sit in the same pew, the absence of their spouse is profound. That is a reality for many people of faith, not just the Catholic faith, right? Like you've lost someone and then you're returning back to a support system, your church, but there's a piece of you that's missing. Um, And I thought that was also equally as beautiful as showcasing how the faith and the church can step in and be a source of support for those who see and are involved in their faith communities. Again, it it was food for thought of something that I really had not been exposed to or thought about as grief as trauma, right? And so that was a, a nice entrance. Grief is trauma. That was a 
beautiful sentiment because when we think about traumas, we think about the stuff that we think of big T traumas and little T traumas, but not often is grief lumped in with trauma, but it definitely is something that can leave a lasting scar. Absolutely. Um, I have to say, I was so pleasantly surprised when we highlighted the jail ministry group because they utilized a trauma-informed program in the jails. And I was like, what, what, what? And I deep dived and went on the research and I looked at their program and they actually dropped off like a booklet of th- that they use for, I don't remember if it's eight weeks or 10 weeks. And it was legit amazing. Like, 100% trauma-informed, and I was shocked because I did not know that anything like that existed, and I'm very glad to know that those things exist. One of the things that I think is really neat about this program is, and when Joe was talking about, you know, inmates being the ones that that do that, you don't have to be any kind of pastoral staff. You don't ha- even have to. I mean, Francis and I don't have theology degrees or anything, um, but to be a facilitator, you you need to be a Christian. But to be a participant in a trauma healing group, they you don't have to be a Christian. And so, you know, I I thought that was a very interesting thing. And, you know, we don't, we really don't teach this. uh, We use the scriptures um, and the people read, you know, people in the groups will read scripture and each individual just kind of applies it to themselves. And if they don't agree with it, that, you know, that's fine. So it's not, um, it's, it's a way, you know, to, um, to introduce people to, you know, scripture, you know, I think one of the the first lesson is, uh, if they're suffering, um, what's it, what is that first one? Um, if God loves us, why do we suffer? Mm. And, you know, that's a question that a lot of people ask. And so, you know, the, just the different scriptures and the activities and things like that speak to that. But even if that's not where the person's coming from, um, some of the activities that you do, like um, artwork or, uh, you know, learning how to uh, to do a breathing technique to relax, those kinds of things. Um, And we don't really teach. We really more facilitate. And so there's a lot of small group activity and the women just share with each other and you know, um, a lot of times just having somebody that you trust, listen to your story and, 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 uh, you know, extend comfort or something like that and giving people a safe place to, you know, share, uh, is, is, is I think one of the big powers of, of how these, this, the dynamics of these groups work. And one of the things that I like about it is the very first meeting, the women that are in the group determine their own set of rules. Mm. Uh, In prison and jail, you're not given much of a choice in anything. But in that room, they can say, you know, we don't want this to go anywhere. We want we want to be respectful. We don't want to interrupt. And, you know, it's important for them 
to set the pace and set the rules. That way, they really feel engaged in it. They had infused within this program what I consider to be polyvagal theory as far as sensations in the body, breathing, um, different mindfulness practices, right? All of the people we spoke with were so passionate about what they did and cared deeply about the traumas that those who are incarcerated have have faced. And recognizing that just because you've committed a crime, most often drug offenses, um, doesn't mean you don't deserve compassion and healing from the trauma you experienced, which is likely a big contributor of what landed you in that situation in the first place. Exactly. So true. Because we know that poverty adverse childhood experiences, the traumas, all of that, that's the gateway to addiction. That's the gateway to all of the isms, right? It's so much. Um, And I was generally impressed by their knowledge of trauma-informed practices and how they utilize those. And so I, for one, am glad that we have groups like that jail ministry here in our county, Davis County, and all around the world who utilize this program because if I was ever in jail and I was looking for faith, I was looking for a higher power, I was looking for God, Jesus, whatever, I would hope to goodness it would be someone like them who would be sitting across from me, non-judgmental, not forcing anything upon me, but showing me side by side mindfulness practices, deep breathing, um, the five senses grounding and scriptures that also support all of these beautiful practices. Like if I was in jail, that's who I'd want. <laughs> so I was very glad about that. After we did the month of, um, the faith-based communities, we quickly moved into the education system. And we were able to speak with people from two of our local colleges, Owensboro Community Technical College and Brescia University. And then we were able to speak with um, Owensboro Public Schools, uh, Summer Bell, who heads up their mental health and counseling centers and programs. And, you know, it's interesting because the field of education is education, right? People are going to college to have degrees, to learn a trade, right? To launch into the world, have meaningful activity, get a paycheck, pay for rent and food and all this. And yet those two colleges are very different in Um, the individuals that attend, right? Um, And I liked how the feeling with Brescia University and with Father Larry and his amazing crew that works there, they were really interested in wanting to focus on resiliency of students. Like how can we 
incorporate resiliency in programming? How can we help students build resiliency, especially as we're still involved in COVID and coming off of this horrendous disconnection time? Like that's what I really remember about that podcast. As I think about that question, what occurs to me is all of the things that people deal with in their personal lives mm. that's maybe separate and distinct from their life at, or their work at Brescia, but that's a constant refrain in the background mm. of their lives. Faculty, staff, students, everybody. And it just seems like maybe it's because of, you know, pandemic is winding down and we're still recovering from that. Just seems like that has intensified over the last months or year of people just really struggling with stuff back home or, and, and it doesn't necessarily get in the way with their work because our employees are all incredibly professional, but it, it, it's there. It does. And it, it needs to be addressed in some fashion. Yeah. That's what I would say is bubbling to the surface for me. <sighs> to piggyback on what Larry said, I think that the pandemic caused a lot of these traumas or things that we deal with to really just come to the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they're there, and now we're trying to figure out what ways to navigate them. And I think finally we're in a space where we're able to have those conversations. Before it was just, um, just kind of keep it to yourself. Yeah. And I say that only from my community, as in part of the black community, um, it's very much looked down upon to get counseling, to seek help. And um, so now it's, it's it's becoming more of a custom. It's more acceptable. It's still not as much. But in, in where I grew up, it's like you suck it up, move on. That's how we've always been, or pray it away. Yes. And so now we're having those conversations. And it's 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 refreshing to know that you can have it and it's not a stigma of you gotta deal with it on your own. And you, and when you start to have those conversations, you realize that um, a lot of people are going through the same things that you're going through. You never even know it. Also helping students in that time of their life that very likely can become traumatizing so easily when you are just leaving home for the first time especially the class that they classes that they were seeing at the time that we recorded that just out of covid um online schooling going to a university i know we talked about international students and how there's a decently sized international population there which is wild to me owensboro seems like too small of a town for that but i mean hey I learn, I learn more the longer I live here. Um, but I did, I did appreciate them touching on that. The fact that um, you have students coming in with trauma already, and how do you offer them support in a time where they have to find an entirely new support system? You don't go to college with your family and all your friends from high school. Sometimes you get lucky and you get one or two that go to the same school as you, but like. Your foundation's rocked. How do we guide the young, the youth of the youth of tomorrow into healthy, successful adults? That's a great question. Uh, I'm still trying to find my way on that one. I consider myself a young adult still, just so you know. 
Um, and the crew out at Owensboro Community Technical College, they're amazing. Like, oh my goodness, the amount of students they see every day, who they help, listen to, right, provide educational counseling and help them find resources, their um, work programs, right, working with single moms, helping them get their feet in the door and find employment, and all of that, like back when I went to college, I have to say that was, I didn't really know that kind of stuff existed, right? Um, of course, I went away to school, went to Louisville. It was a traditional four-year um, liberal arts, you know, program. And so maybe there were single moms. I I'd, honestly, I was 18. I was only focused on me, you know, very egotistical. I have no idea, but I am grateful that our community has OCTC and has the amazing powerhouse women that they do that show up every day and help out their students. Like those are some passionate, strong minded social justice people. Or ever at a point in your life where you feel like, you know, I just, I don't know that I can get my education. I don't know. I want to do more. I don't care where, what, what you do, where you go, it's possible. The possibilities are endless. You're never to fill in the blank to, you know, get it, get an education and improve your life. So... They are passionate about connecting people with the resources they need. That's for sure. Um, and then we talked with, like I said, Summer Bell with Owensboro Public Schools. And that was a very eye-opening and enlightening conversation. When she, especially, I remember her talking about how they wanted to foster a connection and a relationship between their school resource officers and the students to help them just form that relationship so that in the future, should they ever need that kind of help, they've already built a connection with somebody, a trusted person. Like I remember that specifically that she was talking about and how they have, I don't remember at what percentage, but how much, they got that grant to really put more in place to support students in their mental health needs because it used to be just like, you know, a guidance counselor and now they had therapists and support staff like at every school. So my question with this new position with Owensboro Public Schools, you said it was started the year before COVID hit. 
I thought it was something that came out of COVID with the focus on mental health. Can you explain what brought about your position? Yes, I actually started, I think, February or March of 2020. I think COVID, like, shut down world happened shortly after. Um, Owensboro Public Schools is part of a federal grant. Uh, Davis County Public Schools is also part of that grant in Ohio County. So there's some other schools within the region. Uh, And it is a trauma-focused grant. It's called the Project Prevent Safe Place. Uh, And within that, um, just a lot of trauma-informed practices, uh, mental health teams were created, trauma-informed teams were created. So the grant has definitely laid that foundation for a lot of the great things that we're doing. Uh, But my position came as a result of that, that grant. I am impressed. It did seem like they had a fairly uh, robust mental health program there, which, I mean, I'm thinking back to my high school days. We we only had a counselor, so that didn't even do counseling at school. The school counselor at my high school was just there to say, okay, you're signed up for these classes next year. Um, but yeah, I was, I was very impressed. I, it seemed like she had some genuinely good intentions for the Owensboro public schools and to know that there is someone passionate about the students' mental health and helping them again, just access the resources that they may need when they are struggling, especially coming out of a time like COVID when children were isolated. And we know that kids are behind in learning and reading and social emotional skills and I feel like that is an amazing grant that they were awarded and had the opportunity to utilize and I hope based on based on that conversation I have high hopes I have high hopes for it yeah I agree then we left the system of education (laughs) and we quickly moved into the healthcare system which as you know, Shelby, I'm very passionate about because I'm also a nurse. I'm not practicing as a nurse, but I have my education and I use my education every day with clients when they talk about a new medication they're on or a disease process, right? But that one was so near and dear to my heart that month that we focused on um, healthcare and come from the nursing world. I didn't even know what an APRN was. <laughs> and now you do. I know. I learned so much. Um, here's something I don't remember Shelby, cause you know, I haven't listened to all of the podcasts since, you know, we did those uh, last season, but, um, I don't really know if anyone who listens knows how, Dr. Tidwell came to be on the podcast. Um, I was working in our local ICU and he was caring for a very um, older patient who had an extensive um, plastic surgery due to some form of cancer. And I had never met him before. And he came up on the floor He sat at the bedside, talked with this older gentleman and his daughter. He just exuded this beautiful kindness and compassion. And he didn't just check on this gentleman once a day. He came two to three times every day that this man was in the ICU. And um, I just immediately was drawn 
to his beautiful energy. And he shared with us in his podcast, he was involved in a uh, horrific accident that caused him to become um, a quadriplegic individual. And so he lost the use of his ability to be able to perform surgeries. And when he came back from going to uh, his rehab hospital, wherever he went, um, I remember thinking, you know, he's the vice president now of population health for Owensboro Health. And I thought, you know, that would be a really cool perspective from the community health um, to have him on the podcast and trauma. And what does that look like for an entire community? And when you're trying to increase a community's health. What is probably the most surprising thing that you have learned in this role regarding um, the mental health of the communities that we serve? Well, that's a, uh, that's a, a loaded question because uh, as, as we all know, um, you know, we, we had uh, a great deal of uh, mental, mental health uh, illness, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think uh, as, any, as any traumatic event uh, might do, the pandemic uh, really um, was influential in, in causing a lot of uh, additional uh, mental health issues, uh, uh, men mental health uh, needs. And while we recognized the need even prior to that event or, or uh, you know, pandemic, uh, it just um, increased exponentially. And that's, I guess, not terribly surprising, but, uh, but can almost seem overwhelming at times uh, to, to recognize the need that we have to, uh, in, in our communities. And it's not just, uh, you know, it's not just our community here in, in Owensboro, Kentucky, Davis County, but it's everywhere that we've looked at uh, health needs assessments. Mental health is, is coming to the top of those uh, assessments as, as maybe the greatest healthcare need that we have uh, uh, right now. It, it rivals you know, um, common things like substance abuse and, and, um, you know, most, uh, most of us Americans, uh, and I'm speaking for myself, uh, carry some, some extra weight and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pandemic in and of itself, but, but mental health issues, uh, and those that, that healthcare need has, has even surfaced to the top among those other uh, widely recognized needs. Um, so that's how that all came to be because I just really like him. I think he's an amazing human being and he's one of the best doctors I've ever, ever worked with. And I thought, mm -hmm. I want him on the podcast. <laughs> he offered some incredible insight and perspective from that more macro level of um 
community engagement when it comes to trauma and I'm glad that I got to meet him and I'm glad that he was uh such a sport about being on the podcast because you know a lot of the people we interviewed for this season we were just like hey you want to try something new this is kind of new for the both of us too but I think we can um educate some people out there in the world and it'll be good and he was like heck yeah let's do this yeah he was all game for it I have to say that I there was only one well, no. Okay. There were several people I didn't know that were on the podcast, but I knew the main person who was in the different groups, but our next guest that we had on Chad Sanders, who's the nurse practitioner over yes. primary care. I know, right. We're both like, I wish people could see us. We're both like got these big smiles. We're like, ah, we love Chad. I loved him. He was so spicy. He had some hot takes and I was like, yes, get it. <laughs> He wasn't. Remember how he kept saying, oh, wait a minute. I'm getting too political. I can't say this. And we're like, no, you're fine. Say whatever, you know. So just to I'm gonna backtrack just a second here. My setting working in a media care center is not necessarily the traumas that maybe you guys are used to or, or, or some other people are used to. So media care center is an urgent care center. So we're, we're seeing people. <sighs> minor injuries, you know, illnesses, stuff like that. We, we always end up, there's plenty every day, at least once I've bitten off more than I can chew. But, uh, uh, but, but trauma was, is trauma is subjective. That's, that's what I figured out more than anything mm-hmm. is that what may be a trauma to you mm-hmm. or, or me may not be to the next person that mm-hmm. it, it just, I've just found it to be so subjective with things. So, um, so we're maybe, you know, traumas may be physical in nature. It may be abuse. It may be, you know, uh, um, even 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 accidents and stuff like that. But um, to, to where people will have, you know, the, the PTSD. And stuff. But uh, for for and, and of course, you got your mental traumas, which you guys know mm-hmm. way more about than I would ever know. And our and our setting is not one that really gets into those situations as much because we're not experts in that. We don't know that very yeah. well. We, we try to recognize that. And it's tough sometimes. It, it's tough yes. to recognize the traumas that's being presented to you. And we're human too. We don't, we don't always pick up on that. And, mm-hmm. and especially some days I'm better than I am others, smarter than I am on others. And, and mm-hmm. I won't pick up things where I should. But so, you know, some of the things that we see, uh, we, we do see those uh, uh, physical and mental traumas and stuff. But, but, one of the things that I've seen in, in, in this community is, is, and I don't know if you consider this a trauma or not, but it's certainly a hardship and it's a, a trauma on a family, whether they realize it or not. Because we have a lot of uninsured, underinsured people mm-hmm. in, this, in this community that, uh, that we see, and those are tough. They're tough to treat. Those people, um, I don't want to say it identifies them, but it, it really does affect their, whether they show up, whether they come to you to seek care, whether they, uh, uh, um, there's just so many factors as as far as that goes. They feel, we we get a lot to where they will feel inferior. I hate to say that. that, That's not the case. It really bothers me that somebody will not come to, is not able to see a healthcare provider because they don't have insurance or, or what have you or anything like that. So not to get in, Certainly. So if I, if 
I think I had mentioned this before. If I start getting political, please, please <laughs> stop me because that is not what I'm here to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I know it steps on anybody's toes whenever we say that. And this is merely a subjective uh, of, of opinion, but I feel like that healthcare shouldn't be a. Uh, it, it shouldn't be something that is, is 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 that only the more money has. It should be it should be an individual. It should be a right that we have. It should be something that we we all are just as a human entitled to. Uh, what a delight! Just all oh, a breath of fresh air. It's fun how when even though you. I mean, we met him briefly before we actually had him on the podcast just to see if we vibed, if he was actually interested in what we were doing, because, you know, I think that um, initial meeting is very important just to feel out what's going on. Um, But that was a very short meeting. And then when he came to actually record the podcast and we were all sitting in your office, I feel like the energy was just brilliant. It was flowing. The conversation there was no stale second while we were all talking. Not at all. And um, he is an excellent uh, nurse practitioner in our community. And I stand by what I said on the show that if I ever need um, to go to a convenient care, like after hours when my doctor is not available, oh, I'm totally going there and I'm going to say, is Chad here? And if he is, that's who I'm seeing. And again, talk about someone with compassion. I mean, he really, truly cares about his patients and individuals and what they're going through. So we went from the macro level, the community trauma in the health world to the very one-on-one seeing people on the ground, really working with um, people as they come in and helping them in the moment. Oh, yeah. And then um, our final um, medical person that we had on was um, someone who is near and dear to my heart. I love her so much. Um, And that is the most amazing and phenomenal Terry Congleton. Um, And she is co-owner of Carico Congleton Family Practice. And um, I went to high school with Terry. I was really good friends with her older brother, uh, Dr. Matt Carrico. He's a physician here in Owensboro. He's at um, Bluegrass Medical. And Terry is just, she's good peeps. And she is solid in her clinical skills. Um, She takes care of my personal health. She takes care of my dad's health. She takes care of my brother's health. So, you know, I'm, I was like, the whole family is going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely someone you trust. The mistrust for healthcare it wasn't definitely there before the pandemic, but between, you know, misinformation oh, yeah. and uh, then also, you know, in healthcare, the last few things have changed. You know, we, we mm-hmm. give you our best information at the time. There's the, there's the key. What, at the time? Yes, because... Because our body of knowledge changes. Yes. You know, 200 years ago, if you had a problem, we sent you to the barber and he bled you. 
And we don't do that anymore because Lauren's probably not a good idea. <laughs> and some say it's scary. But, and that, that's, this was a, a time in life or has been and still is a time in life where we see our body of knowledge just rapidly changing and unfolding. And so what I told you at the beginning of the pandemic and what I tell you now isn't necessarily the same or what I prescribed to you yep. at the beginning is not necessarily uh, what I prescribe to you now, um, but I feel like part of so my personal angle on how I take care of people is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't make your decisions for you. Um, it's not a paternalistic relationship. Mm-hmm. We're partners. I'm going to give you the information. We're going to make a decision together. We're going to make goals together. Your goal, your goal, might not be the same thing because you have different lives. You have different, yep. you know, limitations and different, you know, strengths. So, um, when I have done that, normally it's, it's been a friendly conversation because I'm, I'm a relatively friendly person most of the time, <laughs> uh, but yes, sometimes it has become, I, I don't like adversarial conversations with, with particularly in, in, in healthcare because it's, it gets us nowhere. Um, but I've had to put up signs in my office that says, I love you. I want the best for you. But I will not argue. Um, I will present your, the, the information and we'll make a decision together. Terry is a beautiful spirit, a beautiful soul, and she takes her time with her patients. Like, mm-hmm. she's thorough. Like, I mean, she took her time with her words during the entire podcast. She had a very warm presence and was very articulate with what she wanted to say and really took her time. That was the COVID episode. And I remember we were discussing some things that I hadn't thought about in a really long time that I kind of like blacked out of my head. And I vividly remember my nervous system just kind of like shutting down during that episode because I was like, ooh, ooh, I didn't think some of these things affected me the way that they did. And then it was really coming up and I was like, hmm the power of conversation and how it can make you truly feel things throughout your entire body. So just more things that I've been noticing as I've been growing and we've been doing the podcast and meeting new people and learning from everyone's different perspectives. It's like, wow, the power of conversation and connection can really shift thought patterns and help you reflect on things that may not have seemed so intense in the moment, but really have that power in the back of your mind. Absolutely. Very beautifully said. Yeah. Um, Again, I loved all of our episodes. I just did. But like I said, Terry is just near and dear to my heart and she's just done so many um, above and beyond things um, for my family. Our next episode uh, was extremely spicy. Mm-hmm. I think it was the spiciest for our season three. Um, and we got to have fun because we were with some amazing women um, who we love dearly. Uh, three of our therapists here at New Beginnings, Tara, Becky, and Crystal. And the title of um, that episode, I believe, was 
raising juvenile sex offenders. Do I have that right? Or yeah. Um, I'm looking at Spotify right now and it says raising sex offenders in America today. Oh yeah. But you know, same gist. And you know, we got some interesting feedback from that episode. Um, and it touched some nerves and I think it was good because we have to begin to have this reality, right? This awareness. Mm -hmm. Where do sex offenders come from? (laughs) They don't just pop out of the clouds, right? But back, back when we were working with these juveniles, I couldn't have even imagined that even the title Raising Sex Offenders it means a whole new meaning in um, this time, this era and this time of kids being unsupervised, of watching shows that are not appropriate, watching pornography, um, thinking that certain things that they do watch is what love and sex look like. It, I mean, I could just go on and on. And, being groomed on the internet? Yeah. Oh, yeah, being groomed on the internet. And all these things are being glamorized and normalized and, you know. It grows. They are they are smarter than the police, than the FBI, than these sex offenders just keep changing online and changing their ways. They save pictures and meet up and, yeah, it's scary. Just the thought about raising the sex offenders is if someone is exposed to content in a young period and they don't and haven't had any education and it is fostered um, and there's attention and there is sensations following, um, whether it's just viewing the porn or interacting with another kid, then we're just getting kid on kid sexual abuse. And then that kid's going to go and um, be experimental with another child and so on and so forth. Um, We have a very big concerning issue on our hands that will not get better until things are restructured. Parents feel comfortable talking to their kids about bodies and monitoring and supervision. Um, And I'm going to be very dismal and tell you that this is disheartening for me because I don't, a greater the population, I feel like do not do that than actively do. Honestly, that that episode opened up more questions than answers and, you know, just, just really a frustrating, complex part of the human condition. And I might cut this part out, but I'm going to say it anyway. One of the um, sessions that I sat in while I was at the NOVA conference in New Orleans was by a group of two women who were discussing... Uh, sex offenders as monsters and that myth and how when we make out all sexual predators to be monsters we're discounting the fact that most people who commit these offenses are just your everyday average folks they're people in your family they're people in your friend group they're people that you work with they're not outcasts from society they're just people but then about changing the language from 
predators to people who cause harm because that is not their entire identity and just because someone has caused harm doesn't mean that defines who they are so then it's like ah mm. that is where it gets to be this complex co scope and this spectrum because there are the juvenile sex offenders who have been exposed to things too young have not been taught empathy which is a learned skill in a lot of cases um don't know how to act around their peers because they weren't raised that way. And then they grow up in a patriarchal society that this is how women are treated. This is the expectations of women. And then they go on to assault multiple women, right? That is a societal issue and a structural issue and an education issue. And I do think those brains can be trained and those things can be prevented from through prevention efforts. But when it comes to the brutal serial rapists who are stalking and murdering women i feel like that might be one of the sociopathies but again it's this spectrum it's a spectrum and it's so complex and so complicated and that's why so many women out there defend sexual predators because that is their brother their son their husband and they're like oh it couldn't have been that bad, but the trauma that they caused is certainly life-changing for the women who, or men, or whomever they caused the trauma to. God, being human is hard. It is. I mean, and as I was sitting here and listening and nodding and agreeing with everything you said, um, I think we bring them back on for the spicy level 2.0 or season four, because I think we could just take one of those questions and spend two hours easy I think so too I know I just monologued for a minute there but that's because I have so many questions and there's so many different perspectives and I don't think there is a real answer I think it's just a dialogue that needs to be had and oh, yeah lots of questions not a lot of answers in yeah. a in your your word of complexity is a beautiful word to describe it because it is complex it is not black and white it is not all or nothing it is a very gray area it's a very gray area you know because there are those who um have hurt other people because they grew up knowing that's all they knew. And then, then when they found out, oh my gosh, that's not the way, right? Versus mm -hmm. those true perpetrators where it's about power and control. Mm -hmm. To me, that's that's the clear, you know, line. That's the boundary. Like, is yeah. it about power and control? Or is it because I didn't know any better until I got educated and somebody came to school and talked about this, you know? Thank you. I feel like that is the beautiful division that I was trying to get to. You said it perfectly. But it's like, how do we tell who is who? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I think it comes from a pace of a pace, <laughs> a place of understanding remorse. Mm-hmm understanding um thoughts intentions um, that's all i can say at this moment because that's what's coming 
Well, let's have them back on and have this discussion further because I feel like it is perfect for a New Beginnings Sexual Assault Support Services podcast episode to be having these discussions because we are here to help educate and start a dialogue. Yeah. And we left the medical month. That's what I'm calling it. (laughs) Medical month. And we uh, light speeded. Is that even a word? (laughs) Into the mental health. But you know, I love, I love mental health because that's what I do. Yeah, I feel like our, we, we had some good bridges between episodes and like the Raising Sexual Offenders was a good bridge because we had our mental health providers on and into more talks of trauma from people in the other realms of mental health across our community. Oh, yeah. And so I think our first guest uh, for that was uh, Ken Castleton. It was Ken, yes. Yes, he's a local uh, therapist here in our community. His business is Freedom Wellness Center. And he was talking a lot about my favorite topic, the nervous system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his own journey as a therapist over the last, oh goodness, Ken, if you're listening, I don't remember. It's either 10 or 13 years, but a long time. And... Uh, a beautiful example of his own uh, transformation in the last year when we did the episode of meeting people right where they are. Is that what you would say step one is or where? No. 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 Okay. Oh, the, you remember those three words? Meet me here. Meet me here. Yeah. Meet them there. Okay. The first step is in meeting people where they are. Because I would love, for instance, to just do breath work 24-7. I would love to. I would love for everyone on the planet to just start doing breath work. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's, if, I have, if I have a goal in my career, it's to convert every, it's all 8 billion people on the planet right now <laughs> to start doing breath work, okay? But I know that that's not, mm-hmm. that's not possible. One, because that's ridiculous to think. But two, because that's not where people are. The first step is in meeting people where they are. That's why people come to therapy, because they can have a trusted individual, a safe person who can meet them where they are, not try to get them to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. What's, a, what's, a, what's a really common way that we try to get people to be somewhere else? They say that they feel some kind of way. Oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm telling you where I am. <laughs> Meet me where I am. Don't tell me where I should be. I have genuinely thought about breathwork very differently since we had that conversation. Since I started working here, I mean, breathing techniques are always something that help you regulate your heartbeat and your nervous system. And I I knew that, basically. Um, But that conversation with him sparked a lot of um, internal self-reflection and I have been more focused on breathing mindful breathing since then so I did appreciate his insight I think we also talked about some cold plunging on the episode 
We did not. No. Oh, we didn't. No, I was surprised because I knew you guys were doing your ice bath posse at that point. And I thought yeah. we were going to talk more about it, but we did not talk about cold plunging on that episode. And I was, I didn't bring it up. I was waiting for you to, but I thought me, you didn't bring it up. So I was like, all right, I guess we're not talking about it. Well, that's maybe going to have to be another episode on cold plunging and how we can counteract trauma or negative stress with positive stress. Um, because he started a community group now. We had his first kickoff last weekend called Club 57. And it's called 57 because that's the temperature that the water needs to be for the benefits of cold exposure. Um, it's like a monthly, I think he's going to do it monthly at his business of community cold plunging come together. We do breath work, we do movement, and then we plunge. So, but yeah, maybe we'll talk about Wim Hof method and cyclical hyperventilation. And there's a way of um, moving some trauma out of the body. Hmm. Sounds like a plan. That would definitely be a good, a good episode. Let's write it into season four. Yeah, I'm writing it down right now. So I don't forget. Let's hope I don't lose my list like I did last time. <laughs> then I have to say, oh my goodness, our next guests were by far, I feel, in the history of this podcast and probably the history forever of this podcast, the funniest, curious, most vocal guests we have ever had on and that is and that is our whatever banjo and patsy <laughs> <laughs> the two horses um who are part of a herd of misty and rick baker uh owners of the bridges program and oh i loved patsy and banjo oh my gosh me too that episode was so much fun uh, I wish we could have gotten the entire thing on video, but our curious little mates knocked over our low budget iPhone. <laughs> but I mean, hey, that's what you get when you're recording nonprofit, but it still turned out really, um, it was an amazing episode, even though the quality wasn't top notch, but I'm still, I'm still happy with our guest. I think we had a solid content. Oh, hell yes, we did. I loved how we were talking about horses with their instinctual nature of being a prey animal. They have to be in the present moment at all times so that they're not like eaten or killed, right? And how when used therapeutically, a horse is like a mirror for people and they are showing you in real time what is going on? Misty was talking about being prey animals. Mm -hmm. And in the wild, they they sink their heart rates. I don't care if it's one small herd of 10 horses or 50 or 100. They all sink their heart rates together. And they didn't say that. Right there you saw an example <laughs> of it. Yeah. Whenever you get within four to six feet of a horse, mm -hmm. they can literally feel your heart beating in your chest. Mm -hmm. They know you're there. They don't have to see you. They feel you. They know. Your energy that you bring in that is unspoken. 
And by that I mean, we can ask you, well, how's your day going? You're going to look at me and smile and just be as pretty as me and say, I'm having a great day. Full well knowing your dog got run over, your car broke down, your house burned. I'm having a great day. You can lie to us. Okay? That horse will feel through your biorhythms. That anxiety, that tension, that anger, that fear, whatever it may be, they feel that. The way that works in the wild, wild horses, for the most part, don't nicker and whinny and call to one another. Mm-hmm. If they make that vocalization, they just told every predator within earshot where sucker's at. They don't do it. They use those biorhythms and that energy they feel to keep each other on alert. And what happens is when one of them feels threatened or question something, their ears will come up and they'll look in the direction of the threat. The whole herd will do the same thing. They don't know why they're doing it, but that one did so we all do it. Mm-hmm. That one takes off, they all take off. They don't know why they're doing it, but that one did, so we got to go with them. And they'll run far enough, they feel like they're safe, they'll turn around and look and see if anything's following them, chasing mm-hmm. them. That herd dynamic then translates into client horse Therapy, I don't know what I'm looking for, but when that client comes into that arena, that horse will pick up mm-hmm. on the unspoken. Mm-hmm. And that's why this works. And I will tell you from personal experience, um, they will show you things that you're not even aware of that are happening in the moment. And it's not until your attention or awareness is brought to that and you go wow and um, I'll share a little bit about my own personal experience Uh, the last gosh year and a half now I've been doing horsemanship lessons because I wanted to learn about horses I love horses one of my um, spirit guides is a horse and um, I just thought this would be something really neat to experience for my nervous system, for my own healing. And at the same time, I get to learn all about horses. Um, And, you know, I have known with my head and my heart and my gut for probably the last three and a half years that talk therapy is not what heals trauma. It has a place, don't get me wrong, of helping with replacing negative thoughts with positive and how do you do that? Like it has its place, 1 million percent. But it really did not register with me until one day I was in the arena working with my horse, Cheyenne, and she is a beautiful creature. And she's, I'm going to say maybe 1,200 pounds to 1,500 pounds. Like she's, she's big and she's tall and, you know, standing next to a large animal can be scary sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget. I was walking her, just walking her in the oval shape. And she would stop at certain points and then I would get frustrated I'm like I don't want to stop I want to walk and I 
try to pull (laughs) this large animal (laughs) to walk, right? And how did that go? (laughs) Let me tell you how it went. It went horribly and it went beautifully. I made it around two laps, maybe, and it was stop and go and stop and go. And I was so out of breath. My chest was heaving. Sweat was pouring off of me. And I had to go sit down. And it hit me in that moment, like, boom. Oh my gosh. How much energy do I give away by stopping and starting, stopping and starting? Or, and trying to force things that aren't meant to be. And it was Mm -hmm. in that moment, it was because it was embodied because my body physically experienced that event along with the emotions and sensations. And I was like, holy shit. And the moment I said those words out loud, this horse came right up to me. (laughs) It was like, oh, you finally got it. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. So much so that that imprinted on so many levels that several of us in September next month are going to be getting trained uh, through the Igala school or Igala method. Um, And hopefully we'll be bringing some equine therapy to our clients. I know. I'm so jealous. (laughs) Then we had on one of your compadres and a person from your advocacy posse. We had Megan Jackson on and boy, she's a wealth of information. Megan J is a wealth of knowledge. I I enjoyed having her on the podcast. She is a very fun person to talk to. And I feel like we we match each other's energy very well. Oh, yeah. She is definitely a social justice warrior, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got that warrior spirit about her. And she really brought up a lot of poignant thoughts and ideas on how the legal system perpetuates trauma. Um, whenever you look to... Uh... You know, there's these, there's this file room in DPA, of course, of all these cases. And you'll notice that some of them are so thick. There's these massive, like really strong rubber bands, you know, and it's years and years and years. Some of them are starting with, guess what? Juvenile. Well, yeah. And then you're just stuck in that cycle of recidivism because you have no way of getting out because it's the cycle of poverty. Mm -hmm. But if we did everything we could then, if we exhausted all of our efforts, if, if when that person first goes to court, let's say as a juvenile, mm-hmm. because some of the most serious offenders, it's, it is, they started very young or behaviors were recognized very young. If we caught that then and we, instead of punishment, there wasn't, you know, jail hanging over in this big, scary, it was, okay, how do we heal? Let's figure out why. And we really put the focus on that, which I think that there is, there's, there's people 
you know, heavily involved in this community, more so than a lot of others, um, that, you know, are seeking to, to get just that. But I, I don't know. I feel like it could have prevented so many people from being victims. Talk about the spirit of a true advocate who cares about her community and those who suffer any form of injustice. That is Megan J. She uses her voice and she is not afraid to speak up when she sees something that is unjust or unfair or that needs addressed. So I'm glad that she was able to talk with us. I am too. It was really nice to get to connect with her on that level because really I don't get to connect with most of the advocates because of my schedule and like my door is usually closed because I'm seeing people, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I get to connect with you because you're my office buddy because you are next door. <laughs> oh, but I really did enjoy Megan. Mm-hmm. And then we had um, an amazing, beautiful spirit of a woman who I am so blessed to call my friend now. Um, I've only known her for a short time, like almost eight months, but um, she's near and dear to my heart. And that is Beth Bennett, who is an LCSW with True North here in our amazing community. And she came over and we did an amazing podcast on the world of addictions and trauma. And God, she is, she's a firecracker. (laughs) Yeah. really think um so that old school kind of substance use treatment was very much just straight cbt and in people's faces Mm -hmm. and even when i began my career that was still very much a lot of the professionals that were left in the field right that that i was learning from not all of them right but there was still some of that um I definitely see that much more shifting now, and there is still going to be some of that old school, oh, yeah. uh, hard brow, uh, tough love. It's like tough love has its space in addiction recovery, um, setting boundaries, mm-hmm. leaving people where they're at um, if we need to, and having compassion. For somebody who is already beating up on themselves with guilt, shame, and remorse for the choices that they have made um, is a very powerful thing, right? Um, Some of our clientele have never had the ability to have a nurturing relationship, right? And and having that in a professional way um, is very helpful. And I will tell you that the more that I have gotten to know True North as an agency, right, in our community, they're really doing some cutting edge stuff. And um, I only know Beth and I know Shanna and I know Sarah, um, who all are at True North. And um, wow, they do a lot of good work in this community and they help many people on their journey of, I would say freedom from addiction. 
Um, and my hats are off to them because that's just a world I don't have a lot of exposure to. I don't have a lot of knowledge of. Um, and I think, I don't know if it was season one or two where I was talking about how trauma is the gateway to addictions. Mm-hmm. And we need to get rid of this mindset of like pot is the gateway. No, it is trauma, adverse childhood experiences. It is abuse, neglect. It is not being listened to, not being seen, not being validated for being an amazing, beautiful person. And uh, I think Beth did a beautiful job of highlighting um, trauma within the addictions community. Yeah, I would agree. It was interesting to speak with a clinician and hear their views and intervention techniques and how they work with the community. And yeah, I agree. Trauma is the gateway drug. Drugs are literally just a form of coping. (laughs) It's just coping. It's coping the best way that you know how in the moment from those who you were taught to cope by, whether that be your parents or your peers. Absolutely. It's a coping skill. Yeah. (laughs) And leaving that community is really difficult because often you're leaving all of your friends and your family and everyone who you've learned to cope with behind because you're changing your life you're literally changing your life you have to change your environment to change your life it's a difficult world to be a part of and so many people get stuck in it it is and you said it beautifully you have to change your environment and a huge component of polyvagal theory and understanding our nervous system is that if the environment is not safe then it is quite difficult to achieve safety and connection within the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, beautiful. And then the final two episodes we had, um, I really enjoyed those. I enjoyed creating those with you by reading the survivor stories and excerpts. And poetry, oh. I did enjoy reading some of those. I mean, they were difficult to get through, um, but again, very powerful, especially to highlight um, Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. I'm just going to again highlight we're a little bit low budget here in our podcasting. I'm a perfectionist and Jennifer is very go with the flow, so... That entire time I was like, every time I stutter, I need to restart. I need to restart. We need to keep. I didn't. I didn't because I was picking up on Jennifer's go with the flow spirit. But the perfectionist inside of me was like, oh, my God, I need to fix so many things in my reading. But I digress. I, I think the stories did come across as very powerful. And if you go back and listen to those episodes, I genuinely hope you pick up some of those books from your local library, um, audiobooks via Libby, or wherever you find your literature, because they were 
some beautiful, powerful stories and they deserve to be heard. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, this past April for 2023 Sexual Assault Awareness Month, our mothership, that's what I call it, KSAP, Kentucky Association of Sexual Assault Programs, they put out, oh my God, the best documentary I have ever seen on sexual assault. And it was fire. Like It was very well done. Oh, it was so good. And, and Jennifer here was a highlight with her knowledge bombs and experience. It was fun. I like to do things like that. Um, but it was so good listening to the survivors tell their stories, share their thoughts and feelings. <clears throat> and it was all people in Kentucky, right? Because it's case mm-hmm. up. And when the documentary came out, both of my parents had COVID and I had moved in and I was taking care of them because they're elderly. <clears throat> and uh, Carla said, okay, here's like the sneak peek before it gets released for the month of April. And I sat in the living room with both of my parents and we watched the documentary and I had tears. My mom had tears. And at the end, I will, this will stay with me for the rest of my life. My dad, who is 90, yes, nine zero. That's all my dad is. At the end of the documentary, um, I was really interested to see what he would say about it because he and I are on opposite spectrums when it comes to all things political, okay? And he said he wished that when he was growing up, that they would have had education programs and people talking about how not to hurt people. And I thought, oh my God, he got, he got the message. He got, my dad got it. And if my 90 year old dad can get that, then a lot of people can get the message. It's about treating others with respect and dignity and boundaries and consent and compassion and kindness. That's, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a, that was a good one. And on the, uh, I think it was the second episode, we asked um, our good friend at New Beginnings, Sonia Ray. She was our intern through her MSW program. Um, or no, I think it was her bachelor's or her master's. I always forget. Sonia, sorry. I It all runs around in my head. Um, but we asked her to be a special guest and come on and read a poem in Spanish. El título de este poema se llama Para Todo Lo Que Se Marchó. Ella quiere que su voz regrese. La ha perdido hace un año, nueve meses y veinticinco días. Se le iba con los abrazos poderosos. Se le iba con los apretones sofocantes. Se le iba con los oídos que jugaban a ser sordos. Se le iba cuando, los, cuando las violentas manos reclama, reclamaban su piel. Era el momento que se dio cuenta de que la palabra no era inútil. Ella pide que sus lágrimas se sequen. Han persistido desde hace un año, nueve meses y veinticinco días. Han caído por el horror 
que es recordarlo. Han caído por la muerte de su alma. Han caído por su deseo de ahogarse. Han caído porque no ha podido acallar sus pesadillas. Todavía están cayendo porque él respira profundamente y la vida de él continúa como si nada hubiera pasado. Ella espera que su fuerza vuelva. La necesita desde hace un año, nueve meses y 25 días. Con su fuerza romperá el silencio. Con su fuerza recordará su vida que vale la pena. Con su fuerza respirará profundamente. Con su fuerza su vida continuará. Jamás será como si nada hubiera pasado. Pero si se abandona, pero si se abandona a sí misma, será como si él hubiera tomado todo de ella. My goodness, well, that's a wrap for our wrap of 2023. Yeah, that is a wrap. Sorry, I wish I had something better. Well, it was our together inaugural, like, stepping out shows, right? Like season. Yeah, I, it's really cool to be a co-host on a podcast. This is not something I thought I would ever be doing, but... Again, when you work for a nonprofit, you wear many hats. And when the advocacy coordinator, Miss Megan, when Megan was like, hi, someone from the advocacy team needs to be on this podcast because the old person left. I was like, mm, no one else is going to volunteer. I know for a fact that no one else is going to volunteer. So you know what? I talk a lot. Let me just hop in there. I can do it. And I've had anxiety about it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I have loved having you as my co-pilot. I've loved having you as my co-host. You bring such a fresh perspective. Um, and especially I love the perspective of you're a grad student. And you are learning all of this beautiful knowledge. And you're bringing that into this podcast in real time. And let me tell you all, Shelby asks some very, very hard questions of people. Because some of the questions I was like, holy shit, that's a tough question. Ooh, I wonder how they're going to answer this. I'm glad it's not me. <laughs> I loved it. Loved it. I um, am a genuinely curious person. So in my practicum, when they ask me how I'm going to apply my learner lens, It is because I want to know all of the things because the more things that I know, the less I realize I actually know, um, which I don't like. So I need to know more and then find out that I don't know everything and then I need to know more, which is why I ask these hard questions. And then I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I <laughs> I hope I didn't make them terribly uncomfortable, but I really want to know the answer to this. So, you know what? I'm just going to ask it anyway, because as long as it's not like uh, straight up offensive, like just think about it, just think about it. That's right. And like I tell my clients, you have every right to ask any question that you want. And I have every right, whether I choose to answer it or not. Exactly. So season three was amazing and we're heading into season four. And um, some of our listeners might find this funny. Some of them might go, oh, of course, of course. But I had kind of written down some names for season four and I lost the piece of paper. 
So we don't really have a title for season four yet, y'all. We don't have a launch, but please know that we are going to continue our very important discussions on trauma, the nervous system, burnout, healing, and what we can do as a community, both locally, nationwide, globally. I don't know about globally, but yeah, what we can do as humans to work together and truly transform our individual lives and our communities as a whole. Mm. Very well stated. Thank you. And like you said, Shelby, we're going to ask all the listeners to stay tuned, stalk our Facebook page because we'll um, be launching, you know, teasers for whenever it's coming out and um, it'll be on YouTube as well. Those that say yes to being videoed, but I'm excited for season four. Uh, here we come 2023, 2024. Yeah. Yeah. And remember you can change the world tomorrow by listening today. I stole your line. (laughs) That's a wrap. See you guys next time. Well, we've made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. We hope you'll take something you heard today and use it to change the world tomorrow. We wanted to thank our music producer, Seth Hedges, from Uriah Wild Media. His website is in the show description. Also, a big shout out to Roddy Newton, our technical advisor. See you next time. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 26, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the U.S. Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this program are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. Thank you.